Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. It's good to have you here with us this morning. Glad to share this day with you. You know, I know a lot of us work six days a week, some seven, and Sunday is like your day off and you have chosen to spend this time with us. That is appreciated and I want this time to be refreshing, encouraging, strengthening to you. We plan the morning with you in mind that it might be a source of encouragement in your life and a boost throughout your week because it seems life can be pretty crazy sometimes. It seems like there is no stopping Things I always thought, yeah, when my kids get older, think we'll slow down and we'll get a break. How old is older, by the way? You know, right? I mean, I don't know when that day comes and things continue to be busy and busy. And I can understand why the idea of Sabbath and rest is important. Not so much that there is a day that you don't do anything, but there is a day that you acknowledge that you were made for more than the working. You were made for more than the hustle. You were made for God. And there needs to be a time where we acknowledge what we were made for and step into that and allow it to shape us. So let's pray together. Father, this morning it is our prayer that your voice would echo in our hearts and our lives and that we would be strengthened, that we would receive direction, inspiration, Father, that you would inspire, you would breathe life into us. And Lord, you know where we are at. You know the struggles that we are facing. You know the burdens that we carry. You know the exhaustion that overwhelms us at times. And Lord, you are not far from us. You are near and desiring to be a part of us. You said that we are to cast our care on you because you care for us, that we are to take your yoke because you love us and that your way is easy. Your burden is light. Lord, it doesn't mean life will be easy. It doesn't mean there will be no burdens, but you are not trying to burden us. You are trying to give us life, and might we receive all that you desire to give us this morning. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we're going to be concluding our core value series. 
and I've kind of gone out of order. We've talked about these in the past. We've talked about how mission is why the church exists. We are here for a purpose, and we are here to bring life to the world around us. We've talked about how love is the context for all mission, that everything we do is motivated by love. If it's not, then it's out of line with what God has wanted to do. We talked about how structure must always submit to spirit, that it is the work of God in people that's important, not the organizations, not the things that we develop to try and manufacture the way God is going to work. God always works through people, and that's what has to take a priority. Last week, we talked about how creativity is the natural result of spirituality. And what that means is we are creating a future. We are bringing life. We are here to proclaim this good news to the world. We are here for that purpose. And so we are creating something by being here. At least we are supposed to. There's supposed to be what the scripture calls fruit, right? In our lives, we produce something that is tangible for people to take hold of. And this morning, I'm going to talk about how relevance to culture is not optional. We're going to talk about playing softball, fur babies, Michael Jackson, and eggs. Okay. But turn with me now to Second Chronicles chapter 5. We're going to go back to when Israel was under King Solomon. The nation was united, both the, the north and the south, through King David. And now David's son Solomon is on the throne. David could not build a temple. God says, your hands are hands of blood, which should cue us in on the character of God, by the way. And so you cannot build this temple. And so Solomon took on this task and he brought all kinds of gold and wealth and made this temple spectacular. He also used his people as slaves, by the way, but we forget about that right now. That's not part of this story. As the temple is being built, something extraordinary begins to happen. And in chapter 5, starting at verse 32, we see part of Solomon's prayer that I, I think is important that is recorded here. In verse 32, it says, Solomon speaking, As for the foreigner who does not belong to your people Israel, but has come from a distant land because of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm, when they come and pray toward this temple, then hear from heaven your dwelling place. Do whatever the foreigner asks of you so that all the people of the earth may know your name and fear you as do your own people Israel and may know that this house I have built bears your name. So we see in Solomon's prayer that desire is that everyone, not just those who belong to Israel, would come and pray and God would answer that God would reveal himself through his people, which was what God said to Abraham very early on, right? Through you, all the nations will be blessed. Very unique that a tribe would be there for the sake of other nations and not there just for themselves. And so Solomon echoes that original statement that God gave to Abraham. Then when the temple is built, move to chapter 7. Second Chronicles. And there's a dedication of the temple. We see in chapter 7, verse 1, when Solomon finished praying, 
fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord saying, he is good, his love endures forever. This is a monumental moment in the history of Israel. This is a time that they would refer to and remember. This is one of those moments where they would always reluct. Do you remember when we had our temple? Do you remember when the presence of God was so overwhelming that the priests couldn't stand it? A number of years ago, I was on a softball team. That's a nice segue, right? And it was a church league. And Val was on that team and a few other people. This was many moons ago. But for four years, I think it's four, it might have been less, but my mind recalls things as four. For four years, we took the championship. We won first place in this league that we were in, and then we also had a city league that we won. And it's like, we are the champions, right? It was this moment. And I I remember I had a t-shirt that I'd gotten from one of the city leagues, you know, that said championship. And wore that shirt proudly, and then my wife bleached it, and it's gone. I still think she might have done it on purpose. She didn't like the shirt, and I wore it too much. But anyway, that, the point is, I remember those days. It's like the glory days, right? It's like, you know, Uncle Rico and Napoleon Dynamite. Man, I could have taken all state, right? If I could have just gone back to that time. And there is a moment sometimes in our lives where we remember as if this is the pinnacle. This is when things were, were going good, man. We were humming on all cylinders and we were at the top of our game. And this is what that's happening like for Israel. This is, this is it. We are together, the north and the south. We have our king, we have our temple, and God has filled it. There's no stopping us now. Things seem unstoppable. But they don't continue that way. Fast forward through exiles, through captivity, through the Roman conquering and development. In Acts chapter 2, we move forward. And it says, when the day of Pentecost came, They were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a blowing and violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elmites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews 
and converts to Jerusalem, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? What does this mean? You see, the correlation between the temple that we read in Chronicles and Acts is powerful and it's very clear. The fire coming down and the fire coming down and now instead of God filling a building, he's filling bodies. Instead of the Spirit of God falling in a a certain place, a certain culture, in a certain language, the prayer of Solomon that God would reach the world is happening. And all these people from various places are hearing the wonderful works of God in their own language. God is now spreading like a wildfire through human bodies, across human cultures, setting the world ablaze. He's moved from temples to people. And there's something that has to be embraced here. There there has to be an embrace of change. The temple meant everything. They had reconstructed another temple because the one Solomon had built had been destroyed. And so they constructed another one, Herod's temple, that they still would go in and worship, that Jesus talked about. And Jesus said, if you destroy this temple, speaking of his body, I will raise it in three days. And they said, how can it took us so many years? Are you going to raise it up in three days? But they didn't understand. He was talking about a different temple, that God is wanting to fill a different temple, no longer a building, but now a people. And there are some, I'm sure, who remember the stories and reflect and and remember the good old days and know that if God would just fill that building like he did in Chronicles, if the presence of God would just come like he did before, things would be great. If this new temple could be the place where God would show up and show power, oh man, we could just pick up where we left off. But God says, no, I am not there anymore. I am doing something new new can you see it it is not taking place in these buildings it's taking place in the human heart and this isn't foreign this is actually something that god had talked about you know many times when we read the prophets the prophets were kind of the activists and rebellionist people of those days you know they would say oh yes we've got this and the prophet would come up and say oh you think you're great about this but listen god says this And we see that in Isaiah chapter 66, verse 1. This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? Where is my resting place? You think your temple is it? The heaven is my temple. You think you could build a place good enough for me? Where are you going to build? And even back in that early day, God was saying, I'm going to do something more. The temple cannot contain what I am going to do. And we see here in Acts chapter 2, a culmination of what God had begun developing into something completely different. When I do 
training, dog training. I can't tell you how many times I go into a home and people introduce me to their dog. I'm serious. They go, and, and they'll even say this, this is my fur baby. And they'll call it a fur baby. And I just hold my tongue, right? It's like, we're, life is going to change for fur baby, right? It, it's... <laughs> Because what, what happened, they start telling me the problems that they have with their dog, right? And they, they give their dog a name. And they, they, it's kind of funny, some of the names. The number one name for dogs that I've encountered is Bella. Okay, that's the number one name. I can't tell you how many Bellas I've trained, okay? The second name is Sam. Okay. Here's my dog, Sam. Okay, great. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. And so we have these names coming up where they're giving their dogs names of people. I remember a cousin of mine had a dog and named it after the lady who gave her the dog. Called the dog, the name was Phipps. That was the lady's last name. Oh, I named the dog after you. And she was so insulted. You you named a dog after me? So every time you say your dog's name, you're thinking of me, right? It's like this. Anyway, people elevate their dog and they try to make that dog satisfy something that they want the dog to be. And so they, they don't realize why Sam keeps barking at everybody. You know, I can't get Sam to stop barking. Every time he barks, what do you do? I pick him up and I say, Sam, quiet. And I start petting him. And it's like, well, Sam gets rewarded every time he barks, right? And what they don't understand is, first of all, Sam is a pack animal. In other words, if he doesn't have a pack, he doesn't survive. And so the idea of being a part of something is integral into a dog's DNA. They need the pack, and it's a big part of how they get their security. But in a pack, there also has to be a leader because dogs, all dogs, are predators. Even if Sam is a little Yorkie, Yorkies were bred to hunt mice in England, in London. Okay, And they did a good job. They're good little mice catchers. And so here is Sam, the pack animal predator, being treated like a little baby, a little fur baby. And now Sam is freaking out because he doesn't know what the heck is going on. What is this world I'm living in? They're putting clothes on me. And and all these things are happening. And they've taken Sam out of his elements, made him a fur baby. And Sam is not a fur baby. He's a predator. He's a dog. And when you don't treat him like what he is supposed to be, you start to see problems. You start getting separation anxiety. You get overexcitement. You get aggression. Why? Because you've taken his character, what he's supposed to be, and you've tried to make it something else, and now it doesn't make sense to him. I wonder if that happens with us. I wonder how much anxiety I have in my life because I'm not living in the character that God has intended me to live in. I wonder if I create so many problems for my life just because I'm out of character, because I'm out of that relational position I'm supposed to be in with my creator. And and what we see taking place in these passages of scripture is that God has moved his place of worship from a temple to the human heart, 
Remember when Jesus encountered the Samaritan woman? She says, well, the Jews say that you're supposed to worship here. We say you're supposed to worship here. And he said, the truth is, the day is coming when the true worship of God, worshipers of God will worship him in spirit and in truth. For that's what God is seeking. That it's something that is supposed to be taking place. And I wonder how much of my life is out of kilter because my life isn't a temple. Because I am not a place of worship for God. And things aren't what they should be in me. And then it shows up in these characteristics. And just like Sam the dog, who's not a fur baby, Sam the human, when he's not a place that can worship, becomes out of sorts. And problems start to rise in my life. doesn't mean there aren't problems. But I'm not dealing with them the way I'm supposed to because I'm not in the right place that I'm supposed to be in. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Paul is talking to the Corinthians and he's trying to help them live in line with who they are. And I think much of what we have to do is live in line with who we are. You were created in God's image. You were created to bear that image and show that image. Jesus says you are the light of the world. A city on a hill can't be hid. You don't take a light and hide it. It's supposed to shine. And when we don't take that role, I think problems start to creep in. I think they start to eat at our soul. I think they start to deteriorate us. I think we start losing our identity. And pretty soon it's hard to connect with what we are supposed to be because we have been lost in who we think we are. Many of you don't know this, but I went to school with Michael Jackson. Let that sink in. (laughs) It was in fifth grade. I was in fifth grade. He was in sixth grade. It was at Gardner Street Elementary School in Hollywood. I would get on the school bus and we'd go around and we'd pick up Michael Jackson in front of his house. He'd get on the bus, sat with him a few times, you know, said hi. He said, hey. Played tag on the school, you know, grounds, and he was just that kind of shy kid, but he was just happy-go-lucky kid. You know, we always wondered which one of us would be famous, you know. (laughs) He took his road, I took my road. (laughs) And I remember seeing the movie, This Is It, the final movie that was made after his death. And and I remember thinking how tragic it was, or it seemed that there was nobody in his life who could actually speak things that were healthy into his life. And even in that movie, you know, he would say something and the guy was, yes, Michael, what, what is it? What do you want? Yes, yes. Oh, of course, Michael. Everything was yes, 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 yes. Whatever you want. Yes, 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 yes. Well, do you mind if we try this? You know, and basically he was saying, we can't do that, Michael. So can we try this? And, you know, he would try and appease him so that he could do the things that we were trying to do. 
And, and I think about the decisions he made. And again, I don't know him. I'm not trying to put him down. I just remember a little kid who was full of life and, and fun. And then, you know, all the surgeries that were probably not good for him. The $300 million in debt, spending money probably in a way that wasn't good for him. And then taking advice from doctors that probably wasn't good for him just because he didn't have anyone who actually said, hey, that's not good. You need to stop. And when there's no voice in our life that challenges us, I wonder what happens. You know, and it's not uncommon for many pop stars, many people who are very well known to have just people there to support them and no one to give them healthy feedback. Happens in churches too, by the way. There's a lot of pastors who doesn't, don't have someone to say, are you sure? I don't think that's a good idea. In fact, I don't know if you guys are following in some of the church news. Beth Moore, a, a very prominent woman speaker, has come out and wrote a letter to her brothers, very well-written and very graceful, just talking about all the abuse that she's received just for being a woman in ministry. And now there has been a number of replies apologizing, acknowledging what she's saying. But it's like, really? Now? See, this is something that actually started, I think, like in 1920, right? When women could vote. But here we are as the church, and we see some of this behavior taking place, the misogyny that still happens in the church today. And no one is saying, hey, that's wrong. But when Beth Moore said it, it got a lot of attention. In fact, it got a lot of harsh attention, too. There were a lot of people said, who do you think you are, you know? And then finally, a lot of people said, you know, she's right. We need to acknowledge what she's saying. We need to see the problem that is in the church, in this hierarchy, this patriarchy, and we need to deal with it correctly. It remains to be seen how it moves forward. But it's when we don't listen that we are in the most danger. It's when we refuse to receive the instruction and move to the place that we need to be that problems occur. And I think Erwin said it once, Erwin McManus, he said, you know, we have loved our pews more than we have loved our children. And so what we see is a church holding on to traditions, unwilling to change because our tradition, our temple is so sacred to us, not realizing that God is doing something more. And we're holding on while the world keeps moving on. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 31, but if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged, it is in this way by the Lord. We are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. If we would judge ourselves, if we would hear the voice, if we would allow criticism, if we would allow ourselves to see 
what God wants and see where we are and say, you know what? I need to be where God wants me to be instead of where I am. I need to make the changes. Then we could actually move forward. I think the biggest sign of maturity is actually self-criticism. It is the person who is able to look at their own life and say, I'm missing the point here. I am not being the husband I need to be here. I'm not being the father I need to be. I'm not being the employee I need to be. I'm not being the child of God that I'm supposed to be. I am missing the boat here and I need to get it together. You see, that is what needs to take place. Because if we won't allow our lives to change, we'll find ourselves longing for a temple that has long been destroyed, that has been changed. We keep wanting to go back and there is no going back. God is doing something new. Are we aware of it? And moments of transition are are so important. You know... When an egg hatches and becomes a bird. I say a bird instead of a chicken because chickens aren't really that illustrious, right? We still eat those. But say, you know, uh, I don't know, a parrot or something pretty that we don't eat. I don't think we eat. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Getting a little distracted. Maybe you could. I was hungry enough. I'd, anyway. C.S. Lewis said, It may be hard for an egg to turn into a bird. It would be a jolly sight harder for it to learn to fly while remaining an egg. We are like eggs at present, and you cannot go on indefinitely being just an ordinary, decent egg. We must be hatched or go bad. We have to move forward or else we become insignificant. We have to recognize that God is wanting to do something. He is wanting to be who we have been created to be. And if we refuse to step into that, then we're like the egg that never hatches. We're like the temple that's been destroyed. We're like Sam the dog who doesn't get to be a dog. And we lose who we are. And so we find ourselves like the children of Israel who being rescued out of Egypt are now leaving Egypt and now the Egyptian army is coming after them and before them is the Red Sea. And they're standing at the shore of the Red Sea and they're afraid. They have slavery and the tradition that's behind them, pursuing them to take hold of them and to take them back captive, to take them back to what they were. But before them is an untamed, uncertain sea, and in front it shows no sign of parting. And sometimes it feels like that. We're at a place where this is what our history is. This is what the church has been doing for so long. This is how I think I'm supposed to behave. I'm supposed to go to church. I'm supposed to do these things. And here is this un 
tamed sea ahead of me. You're telling me I'm to step forward, that I'm to be the church, that the the fire of God is supposed to be within me, that I am supposed to take the presence of God out into the world, but it doesn't look safe and it doesn't look easy. And it's really nice and warm back here. If I could just go back and we don't realize that we're going back to slavery. We're going back to a tradition that is dead. We're going back to something that isn't alive. More importantly, we're going back to something that you were not created for. You're settling for less, not more, if we don't move forward in what God is calling us to and calling us to be. We are told by God, they were told by God to go forward. The word in the Hebrew is vesayu, I think. And it is a call forward. Move from slavery to freedom. God will take you and your soul from oppression to redemption. And talk about that difficult situation. They can't see how to go forward. It doesn't look like there's a road there. There's a sea in front of them. They can't turn back and they can't stay where they are. It's an impossible situation. And I think we find ourselves in that situation many times. It's scary if we are actually going to be the church and the people of God who bring hope to the world as it is and the people as they are. To hear the voices that are there, all the different voices from all the different people, from all the different walks of life, just like they heard them speaking in Acts chapter 2, just like Solomon prayed that God would reach back in Chronicles. It's scary to go back or to go forward in that way, but we can't turn back and we cannot stay where we are. We can't just wait for things to settle out. That wasn't what we were designed for. There's that gap, and then comes the voice of God, of Yisiyu. Hebrew, it says, go forward, but it could also be translated, get going. Get going. How do we get going? How can your life move forward from being a spectator to being a participant? What traditions are holding us back from being relevant is it a misogyny where it's a patriarchy and we only listen to men is it where we only listen to people who are in our political circles is it in a place where we only will accept the people who agree with us then what was solomon praying what was acts talking about what is this spreading that's supposed to take place if we're going to limit it to our comfort zones, to the things that we have grown up maybe in the traditions that we've grown up in that keep us from moving forward. And the temptation is to stay where it's comfortable. It's more comfortable to do church than be church. It's more comfortable to, to go sit and hear a Bible study and clap 
well, you guys aren't clapping, but you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, we agree with that. We, we applaud the things that we already stand for than it is to go and be what the world needs because the world is anxious and hurting and broken and needs hope. And the fire is supposed to rest on us. And it's not supposed to be contained. It is supposed to spread. And it's supposed to run rampant. But if we want to hold on to our traditions and our comfort, then what will our children's children think of us? What will they carry? Because the world has moved. If we don't move forward with what God has, we're going to find ourselves in a place with no voice. And our voice has to be that of love. Bringing the love that God has to the people who need to hear it in the way that they understand it. My daughter, she's a nurse, and she called me this morning after her shift. And she said, I got to tell you a story. There was this old couple that came in to the church. I mean, in the late 80s, she was... Uh, 89 or something like that. He was about 90. He was in a wheelchair and they, she came in and she had dementia and she was in the room. And all through the night, they kept hearing just two things. She was kind of almost yelling. And she was yelling this word and then she would say something else. And then she would yell this word and say something else. And one of the nurses said, what's going on? What's that lady yelling about? And my daughter said, do you know what she's yelling? She's yelling her husband's name. And after she hears her husband's name, she says, I love you. The only two words she was saying were her husband's name and I love you. And after she would say, I love you, he would say, I love you too. The only thing she could say is, I love you. To call her husband's name and say, I love you. They came from Italy back when they were teenagers, together. They've journeyed life together. They've lived their life together. They're at the end of their life. And all they can say is, I love you. Call your name and say, I love you. And I wonder if God is calling us and saying, I love you and saying, this is what I want for you. I have something more. You want to settle for less. You, you want to be something you're not. I've called you to be the church. I've called you to be the light. This is your name. And I love you. And in that is the message that we carry to the world around us. And it is enough to change the world. It was funny. My daughter says after she told that, all the nurses started crying. They're like, oh my gosh, that's so touching. Here it was annoying. This lady's screaming this word all night. And then she finds out it's her husband's name. It's the only word she can remember. And she remembers, I love you. God remembers your name. And he loves you. And he's calling us to carry this message of his love to the world. And the fire that rested on the church in Acts is here to rest on us. 
And may it burn in our hearts and may we not settle until we see his love and his justice touch every human being that we come in contact with. May we blow away the traditions that have held on to us and kept us from taking this good news to everybody. May we be willing to be uncomfortable to step into the sea that is ahead of us because all that is behind us, captivity. We have only one direction and that's forward. And it's in the love and the grace that God has given. Let's pray. Father, you have called us to yourself to bear your image, to carry your name. The name Christian was given to your followers because they saw you in their lives. Lord, do people see you in our lives? There was a time when the early church loved those who were forgotten and broken and discarded and they were called Christian. Today we call ourselves Christian and the world calls us hypocrites. May we redeem that. May we move back to your intention, your character. May we be your representatives. You've called us to be a priesthood, not of a temple, but of the God who gives life and pours out life unto all who will ask. And so, Lord, I pray that we would take that mantle and move forward, that we would take this calling and allow it to shape us. Lord, we would not settle. And God, I don't know all the areas that you are moving individuals into but I know you're pushing me to be more. I know you're calling me to step into more and into the lives of those around me more in a way that is representing you well. I pray we would start there and that you would take these efforts and use them. And as we do this, Lord, might we find again our identity. Might it alleviate some of the the burdens maybe that we have been carrying that aren't burdens you've put on us. May we lay aside those things that would hold us down and beset us and live a life that represents you. We do pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. May you recognize that God's grace is enough and his strength is made perfect even in our weakness. May you understand that the work God is doing, he is doing through his people, that you are the body of Christ. Move forward. Go. Do the work. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful rest of the day. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. 
we invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.